Welcome to the Front Office Exchange, where we take a look at the careers of executives and rising stars within the sports business. Now, here's your host, Jake Failing. This is episode 12 of the Front Office Exchange podcast. Today, we'll hear from video content creator and founder of Huddle Productions, Chris Yates. Chris is a former sports reporter who worked his way up to a top 10 market in Dallas before leaving his on-air career and starting a video production company that specializes in social media campaigns. Chris was a professional storyteller on TV, and he leveraged those skills and a passion for the ever-evolving world of social media into a company that has generated more than 850 million online impressions. Wow. This was a fun one for me. Chris was able to speak to the current state of sports TV as well as to lessons he's learned over the years as an entrepreneur. If you're into sports business and you've hung out on Twitter at all, you've likely crossed paths with him at some point. Uh, He hosts and participates in hashtag SB chat on Twitter. Uh, We've had JW Cannon on who helped found that. Uh, And then he also hosted a social sports and entertainment show on Google Plus where he interviewed a variety of celebrities for several years there. Um, He offers great insight and advice throughout our conversation both of which speak to those in broadcast journalism who might be looking to transition their career or for any small business owner who's in search of some helpful tips for success. So without further ado, Chris Yates of Huddle Productions. Chris Yates, welcome to Front Office Exchange. Thank you for having me, Jake. I appreciate it. Well, I I appreciate you joining us. So I came upon uh, your background uh, through SB Chat. I saw you were hosting uh, one of the the Sunday evenings, and we obviously had J.W. Cannon on earlier, and I know that's a, a mutual acquaintance of ours. So um, I guess we could start there. How you got involved with that group? Because you know we've we've talked about it a little bit on the podcast, but then also really want to dive into your career and how you transitioned from you know being in front of the camera uh, to now running a production company. Yeah, great question. So I get that a lot. People always ask me how did you figure out social media? And I said, I haven't figured anything out. All I've done is change the channel. So uh, it's a pretty simple game for me and you know, really for everybody. It's a content game. Content is king if you could create great content. Well, let's backtrack then and go back to my career. I started as a journalist, uh, sports anchor, reporter, producer, editor. Back in 1990, I'm kind of dating myself, but uh, worked in local television, uh, worked my way up to top five market Dallas in 1995, uh, covered the Cowboys in the early 90s and 95 when they were actually winning Super Bowls, right. uh, which was, which was the good glory days back then, the triplets. And, but to me, it was always about storytelling. Uh, you know, obviously at sports, people think it's, uh, uh, glamorous and glorious and all this great stuff. And it is, it's awesome. Uh, but it is also a job. So you don't go there. Uh, I was the biggest sports fan growing up as a kid. I mean, I love sports. Uh, when I got there and started doing it from 1990 to 2008, uh, you know, you're talking almost a 20-year career in television, it became more of a job. Still fun, don't get me wrong, but it was more along the lines of I didn't go to a game to cheer the team. I went to a game looking for angles. I went to practices thinking about stories, thinking about ideas, and creativity, which I love. So to me, storytelling was always a big part of what I did. I didn't just go to games and report stats. I kind of looked for an interesting angle or an interesting element. So backtracking to that, fast forward, um, how I got into social media, um, I started getting worn out on TV, and I started seeing that most of the viewers of the kids 
uh, weren't even watching television. They were going on a, on a, a company, which you may have heard of, uh, is Facebook. <laughs> in right. 2008, Facebook was one year old. And I did, when I tell people, have you heard of this small company? Because in 08, not many people have. Uh, everyone thinks that Facebook has been around so long, but you have to realize it's not even 10 years old, really, uh, because it, it took a while, but it has exploded. So I started creating content on Facebook uh, way before a lot of people did and just created video storytelling for uh, Budweiser, uh, and they loved it. And then I started putting stuff on YouTube, and I started noticing that, man, I was getting more traction on that than I was on television. So in 08, I decided to leave TV. People thought I was crazy. Absolutely. What are you doing? You've got kids and a family, and you're leaving a, a job at Fox Sports in a top-five market. You have lost your mind, and I have. I thought that there was going to be some opportunity. I mean, some. I didn't know it was going to be this big. I'll, there was no way that I could have predicted that social media would be as big as it is now when the NFL is on Twitter. I mean, who would have imagined that in 08? Sure. It's just uh, incredible. So in a way, uh, I had foresight. In a way, I got lucky. And you have to have that in business. You've got to take some risk, some calculated risk. And I've been doing it ever since. I haven't missed TV at all. And everything I create is, uh, you know, it, it's really not commercials. It's mainly uh, storytelling with video for brands and agencies. And that's what I do. So you were side hustling before that became a, a, a catchy term. <laughs> yeah, I was. And it was back then, it was called New Media. So I was pitching this thing called New Media. And I would go to business owners, and, uh, you know, I try and still do a lot of sports, uh, music entertainment. I did something last week for Dick Sporting Goods uh, with Clyde Drexler. So I still do a lot of sports stuff. But back then, I'll tell you, my hardest struggle, my biggest challenge was convincing brands that they should be here. They're like, well, I don't get it. I don't know what you're doing. I said, look, I'm you're you're spending money in television and print and radio. You're having to create the content, and then you're having someone to distribute the content. So you're paying double. Pay me to create the content, and the distribution model. Every time you get a view on YouTube, doesn't cost you a dollar. It doesn't cost you anything. So if you create great content, your distribution model is so much better. So you could create so much more content at a fraction of the cost. So it was really a good, after a while, it took about two to three, four or five years for, for uh, brands to understand what I was doing. And now, I mean, now brands are creating their own media companies in-house. So it has gotten that big. So uh, it's, it's a great industry to be in. It's gotten obviously more competitive, uh, but I was one of the early ones, which gives me an advantage, uh, and I love doing it. And, and I think, you know, uh, the, the fact that, you know, everybody I use, my videographers, my editors, uh, everybody has TV journalist background. So it really does help us tell great stories for uh, brands and business owners. Well, let's unpack that decision then uh, in 2008 a little bit more because I actually have a, an interesting perspective. My wife is in television here in Charlotte and, okay. you know, loves her job, you know, it's going well, but I know you know, and I think everybody in the business has felt this at some point, you know, she's on the morning show, so she's waking up at 2 a.m. If, oh, if you're on the night side, you know, you're, you're, and if you've got kids, you're trying to maybe get back for dinner and then get back to the station, then you're not home until Impossible. midnight. Right, yeah. so it's just, I mean, it is, it's a tough, it's a tough gig. Um, if you could just let us peek inside a little bit more about the decision around leaving. It sounds like you ramped up and you, and you had it, almost up and running before you left, or was it a huge, just the whole jump off a cliff, leap of faith? 
Okay. So, uh, as I don't know if you've read the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Right. Uh, really great book. Uh, there's a, a passage in that book or a quote in that book that I just absolutely love. So, uh, and this is exactly the motto that I take, and I think most people should take this approach. And I'll tell you why, but first let me tell you in the part of the book that I love. Uh, there's a, a, a general that they, uh, you know, uh, went to go fight a battle, and there was, you know, they were probably going to lose. They were outnumbered, uh, and they, you know, they brought the boats on, and the first thing the general says is, gentlemen, go burn the ships. And the guys are like, what? He goes, yeah, go burn those ships. So they burn the ships. And they go, why did we do that? He says, because gentlemen, we have no option now. <laughs> We're all in. And so you're, you're not running the ship to escape. You've got to win this war, and they won the war. Uh, uh, and I don't know if it's a true story or not, but I think it was. But I love that. You're, you've got to go all in. Uh, and uh, one thing, and when I took uh, entrepreneurship over at SMU, the other thing the professor said was, if you're waiting for the perfect situation, for the stars to align, and a lot of people try and do this. They have a full-time job, and they're like, okay, I'm going to work on the side and build something up. And when it's ready, then I'm going to jump. Well, you're not putting 100% of effort into it, and you're, I'll be honest, you're never, ever going to have the stars align 100% uh, perfect in entrepreneurship. There is just, it, you just got to dive in. There is no other choice. So I just said at that point, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm all in. But I've always been all in and stuff. I mean, you got to either go for it or you just got to, are you going to lay up? It's like tin cup. You're going to lay up or you're going to hit on the green. And I like to go for the green. I like to go for it. So you've got to have that mentality and you've got to have belief. And your wife is the same way. I guarantee you, if the journalists, most journalists have that mentality of I'm going for it because that is such a competitive uh, industry to be in. And you've got to believe that you're going to have, be successful in that industry. Well, that's the same as an entrepreneur. You just got to believe. You've got to have faith that things will happen. And if you do that, I think you'll be successful. Right. And you got to be talented. I mean, having faith and saying, I can do this and I, I want to do this well, you also have to be great at what you do and you also have to, have to be in an industry that is up and coming. So those are two factors that work really well because uh, as a journalist, uh, storytelling is crucial in social media and social media is a growing, exploding industry. And I'm, and you know, uh, when you're talented in that, in that and it's a growing industry, you're going to have success. I'm not here selling typewriters. I mean, uh, this is a, 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 you've got to be in a space that is, is growing and social media is doing that. Do you feel like that's your hack? That's your unfair advantage, the storytelling piece? You know, you're able to go and say, hey, look, I can produce this for you, but I can also write the script. Absolutely, 100%. And also, uh, you know, our style is different from a, a major ad agency where they're, you know, and this is a huge advantage in digital and social. And all the big agencies are trying to do it. Uh, you know, and I think where they struggle, uh, if I could be honest, where they struggle is they're used to the big whiteboarding and the less plan for a month. And by the time, it, well, you know what? You've got to, you've got to show up at an event. Right. You've got to be able to find the, the interesting stories and a quick turnaround. And you've got to be able to tell a story within less than 24 hours and sometimes within, uh, less than two minutes. And it's very difficult for made, uh, big agencies to adapt to that. So we get hired a lot by agencies to go in. That's why we were hired to help with uh, uh, Dick Sporting Goods and create videos at a live event and turn it within less than 24 hours. And we also do stuff, which is a that's where you brought up with journalists. I think journalists are fantastic at being able to uh, do live, almost live reporting. And I think a lot more of that is going to be huge in the future with Facebook Live. 
uh, Twitter, you have to respond, you've got to be quick on your feet. And, you know, that comes with experience and talent as well. And being a, being a reporter and doing live shots all the time, man, I can do that in my sleep, and most journalists can. So I think journalists, quite frankly, have a huge opportunity in this space. So you mentioned the competition uh, and that companies are hiring now these departments in-house. What does that competition look like for you? I mean, again, just does it go back to the unfair advantage that you're a better storyteller than maybe someone who is slick with the apps and editing and things like that? Is that where you have the leg up or is it that you've got a national reach versus other firms that may be more, you know, let's say Dallas focused? Um, how do you compete with those those new in-house operations? That's a great question. Uh, that's going to be difficult. Uh, I think those are more exactly what you said, the sleek uh, and really overproduced, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It's still You still need the Red Bull does a great job of that. Their stuff is uh, high-end quality. Uh, I mean, we're talking top line. But you've still got to have that authentic, real, uh, raw-type feel to it. And I'm not talking, uh, you know, iPhone feel and all that, but you can do that as well in a pretty good quality. But I'm talking you can't create Super Bowl commercials all the time because people people are not as receptive to those as much as they used to be in the past. I mean, it's just they want to see something real. They want to see real people. I do not create content with actors or any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we create stuff where, like, for instance, we go do tailgating shows uh, for Gordo's Cheese Dip. And so we travel around the country, and we're interviewing real fans, telling their stories about what they love about tailgating. No actors, no actors, and we go in and just find these people out there tailgating at the stadiums. So uh, doing that kind of stuff, you've got to be able to uh, be on the ground running, and you've got to be able to find these people. So we don't script anything. We don't, we don't whiteboard. We tell it like it is, and we tell real stories. So brands love that, and I think that is uh, – something that, uh, once again, you can't uh, just hire a production house company that is is used to creating commercials and create that kind of stuff. Right. You know, it's interesting. Um, a close friend of mine, actually, uh, who sang and produced the intro and outro of this podcast, did the same thing, was in television. They started a production company, and then it also spun out or has included social media um, as well. So, you know, as you grow your company, what does it look like? What does Huddle Productions look like? Is it you and you contract out in various areas or, or do you have a, a full team of full-time staff members? What, what does Huddle look like? Great. Uh, so I started, uh, and it was probably a mistake, I started with employees and then I realized to grow, I started hiring out, outsourcing and bringing in right. the most talented videographers, editors, even producers and, and at times I'll hire out reporters. So, uh, yes, outsourcing to me is great. Everybody, uh, it's a huge advantage because we're not just sitting around. If we're slow for two or three days, uh, you know, I'd love for my folks to go get some other work and make more money. So it's an advantage for me and for them. And I'm not paying out every day. But when we have a big project, we hire, you know, anywhere from, you know, we have currently – on our Rolodex, seven to ten videographers and four to five editors. So, uh, yes, I outsource, and that is the best way to grow, in my opinion, because there's a lot of, I mean, I get calls all the time now from uh, reporters, even in the Dallas market, that have been laid off. How did you do right. it? Can I help you? Can I? So, uh, the biggest opportunity I see in my mind is, A, there's a need 
for work for journalists and videographers. They need work, okay? And some of them don't want to create their own business. So then I give them an avenue to uh, get some work. Then B, the next side is there are brands and business owners that need to tell stories, but they don't have the people to do that. So then I connect the two. And then you have the third option is the viewers. I still call them viewers. That's something that also differentiates us. Other people call them customers. I consider customers viewers. If you can entertain, educate, uh, and give knowledgeable information to the viewer, the end user, the viewer is ends up being a consumer customer. But if you're shoving a commercial or an ad, something that is uh, interfering with their lives, they could care less. So I, uh, I don't like interruption marketing. Uh, that's what I call a lot of commercials, interruption marketing. If they're trying to interrupt my time, uh, that I don't want and I'm not pulling it towards me, then I think it is no longer uh, very useful for the end user, which in essence, they're not going to buy from you. But if you're giving them something that they want, that they find, that they go search, that they're actually looking for, and it's your content, all of a sudden it's a win because they are coming to look for you. Can you imagine that? An advertising right. agency that actually consumers are looking for your stuff right. because they want it, that is that's the key. And right. so we like developing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's two things to, to gain from this conversation. One, okay, look, you, you, you pivoted in your career. You went from on air into running a production company. Um, but then two, just small business, you know, what you've learned, what you wish you could do over. I think that's going to be good for people to hear as well, because whether it's in media or production or some sort of other part of the sports business world, you know, that's something that everybody thinks about inevitably. So along those lines, uh, what have you learned in starting your own company and any advice that you'd give? Absolutely. Uh, okay, so there's a lot. One, uh, you learn to fail. And fail early, fail often, and it's okay. You're going to fail numerous times. Don't be scared to try new things. Don't be scared to attempt things because once again nothing is perfect as an entrepreneur. You gotta zig, you gotta zag, you gotta you got to man, you gotta ride that way. That's one. Two, uh you better be confident with uh uh one dollar in the bank or ten thousand dollars in the bank. Your confidence cannot waver because I'm telling you there are going to be droughts. And if you don't believe that, you are in denial. You will be at some point maneuvering around just to try and stay afloat. Uh, there is just is such a up and down deal. If you are not able to handle that kind of pressure, then this is not for you. Uh, cash flow is huge. Sometimes I have to wait on, you know, uh, there are some clients that are 120 paydays. How can you pay your, your right. crew when it's 120 day payday? It's I mean, tough. it's pretty difficult at times. So, Kat, you've got to be able to have that. Um, other things, you know, uh, there's going to be people that come and go in your life, which is very difficult because I'm a, I love being loyal to people. I love working with people, but there are times when some people are going to do things that are going to move on. And you've got to be able to just always have other talented people a bench. And I think I made a mistake early on that I had just a few people and I didn't think about my bench. And they're like, hey, I got a full time job. I have to leave. I'm like, oh my gosh. So I've got to find someone now. You've got to continuously be trying to think about your bench and other people that you can, you know, work with. The other thing is, um, this is a, this is probably my number one, uh, thing that I've learned. And this is, 
I mean, I would highly recommend this. So, um, I am very good at storytelling, creating content, doing that stuff. But I, you know, I'll be honest, I wasn't the greatest businessman. I needed to learn business. So I thought, hey, I'll start reading these books. I'll, I'll start learning how to do this and this and this. Well, I was trying to improve on my weaknesses. And I was, guess what happens when you do that and you're going to improve? Am I going to really learn that much in the next couple of years when other people have 20 years experience? Why didn't I focus on my, what I'm great at, what I've done for 20 years? Instead, I tried to improve something that I'd never done before. Well, are you, so are you just, happening, it, sorry if I could jump in. So were you saying, were you considering an MBA? I mean, I think that's a, a something no, that people yeah, think about. So, Great question. Yeah, it was it was all of the above. I would take classes, online courses. Books, yeah, I would just do all kinds of stuff, try and get more organized, and do this and do that. And so all of a sudden, I ignored my strengths. Guess what happened? Your weaknesses are going to improve maybe five ten percent. You're not going to. I mean, to learn that, and all of a sudden, I ignored my strengths, and all of a sudden, those started going down, and I ignored what I was great at. Instead, I started thinking about delegating and bringing on people to fill in those gaps. Hmm. That is really the most important thing. Just forget it. I mean, you can't do everything. Uh, and I was trying to do too much, trying to be everything, the marketer, the, the owner, the CFO, the this and that. Instead, you really should think about uh, creating those positions for other people that are great at it and let them do what they're great at and do what you're great at. So it seems very easy, but trust me, it can be difficult, especially when you're trying to save money and you're trying to, you know, grow slowly and all this stuff and, and do it yourself. That is not necessarily the best approach. Just curious, what does broadcast journalism, uh, as it relates to sports, what does it look like out there? You said you're hearing from uh, talent who is maybe looking at a career change, but you're also on the production side, so you're talking to you know, producers, the business side of uh, some of these stations, so you've got a unique perspective. So just give us a, a quick kind of what you think the, the landscape looks like out there for people in the industry and then maybe looking for a change in their career. Ouch. So the people looking to get in this is a, uh, it's a very, very sinking ship. I hate to be a doomsayer, but it's TV, local television is dying. I mean, it is, the ratings are down. They're, they're cutting staff. Uh, they're realizing that there's the people out there, the younger generation especially, they rarely watch local television. They get their information online. So TV stations have to adapt. They've got to adjust. And I think some of them are doing a good job. They're starting to do Facebook Live stuff. They're starting to do all this stuff. The problem they're having is, and I'm seeing this and I'm hearing this. Okay, so when I got here in Dallas at the Fox station, we had over 16 people in the sports department. We did a 30-minute nightly show because we had an hour show. Uh, and then we also did a 10 p.m. sportscast. So we had 16 people. Uh, I think today they've got maybe four. Um, so they're, they are stretched thin and they're having every, all these folks do so much stuff. So, uh, they're not even covering the events like they used to. We used to go to the Cowboys training camp and send five, six, seven people go live every night. This past year they sent a videographer and that was it. Right. I mean, but they're just not, they're not making the coverage. So you've got to, your TV stations are going to have to adapt. If I was someone leaving the field, I think I would think about 
uh, doing what I'm doing. Get into the social media. Get into storytelling. There are so many companies out there that need journalists to tell their story. There's so much opportunity out there that, uh, you know, in the past, really, journalists only had one option, PR. They would go into PR or communications, uh, you know, be a, a or a media relations person. But now you could be you could be a journalist again. But instead, once again, I've said it before, it's just changing the channel. You're still going to tell great stories, but you're going to tell it, you know, on different platforms rather than right. TV. So well, that's why great I, opportunity. That's why I wondered if the opportunity then wasn't still there. You know, maybe in TV those opportunities. Uh, aren't there or they're dying, like you said, but in terms of being a storyteller through electronic or digital journalism, you know, those other channels, like you said, are popping up. Um, but are those yeah, opportunities? Huge opportunity. Okay. Yeah. I think there is. I mean, uh, I mean, what do you think? I, I mean, do you believe that? I, I believe that. I think there's great opportunity. Um, I'm seeing more and more people do that. Um, and the other thing too is it's interesting. Let's you know let's zero in on sports for a second. Um, have you heard of the Tribune that Derek Jeter created? Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, well, the, for the viewers out there, if you haven't heard of it, it's uh, called the Tribune. Players now Tribune. It, yep. it, yeah, the Players Tribune. Thank you. It's uh, players actually telling stories directly to fans, so they don't they no longer have yeah. to go to ESPN to get their voice out there. Once, that's kind of the model that I have. You can kill the distribution model and go directly to the source. Right. So now there's the opportunity. Who's te really telling that story? They're not doing it. They're having journalists interview them and tell their stories. They're telling the stories directly to the fans, but they're still using journalists undercover to tell their stories. So these are going to be popping up more and more, in my opinion. I think that's going to be a huge opportunity for people. I mean, they have their own staff yep. that, that writes and videos and, and tells these stories for the players directly. Right. So, you know, much like this podcast is for me, um, you know, you've got other things that you're working on that are business development tools, ways to further your network. And we mentioned SB Chat earlier, and, and I think that was just you, you filled in one Sunday. I think I've seen you do that other Sundays as well. But then I know yeah. you also formerly were or still involved with Google Plus and, you know, Hangouts. So, uh, you know, talk a little bit about those two things and then other okay. things that you do to help build that network kind of concurrently with Huddle Productions. Absolutely. So um, I'm always looking for new things to do. Unfortunately, the Google Plus Hangout, I was surprised. I thought it would be bigger. Once again, you hit and miss, but right. you got to try stuff. Uh, but it did. It worked for me during the, the couple of years that I did it. So let's take that one first as an example. I saw Google Hangouts as an opportunity to really have your own TV station but online. Most people are using Google Hangouts just to chat with friends. I saw it as, hey, let's, why don't we start interviewing people uh, on there, sports business people, sports celebrities, and get them on the show. So it got so big. The first month, we grew it to 500 people. Well, Google started recognizing the show. They started promoting our show, which I'm like, great, thank you for promoting it. Within two months, we were up to 697,000 fans. Wow, so, you just started this so, on your own. On my own, we did it uh, every Sunday night. We would bring somebody on. I mean, uh, at the beginning, it was, you know, Darren Woodson and Bill Bates, guys that I knew at the Cowboys. By the end of the deal, we did this about a year and a half. We had uh, close to 700,000 fans. I had Lee Steinberg on. I had Barry Switzer on. 
I had some pretty big name folks on. Mike Tyson's former promoter was on. Uh, I mean, we had to, so all of a sudden, here's an avenue to create this show, and that's how I got my name out there on a national scale. I mean, when Lee Steinberg calls you, so I'd love to be on the show, you're like, sure. I mean, that's kind of yeah, I can cool. make that work, so, sure. Yeah, so we made it work, and we had him on. And uh, uh, but you know Google Hangouts are you know no longer really relevant. Uh, they're just nobody really uses them. But I just try and find things like that to get out there and 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 give back to people. I let people come on. Uh, but then I got known that the uh, 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 when the music awards came on, uh, the red carpet and all that stuff. It wasn't the Oscars. What is it? I'm trying. Can't even think right now. Emmys, uh, the big, Grammys, Grammys. The music Thank one. You, the Grammys. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I was thinking of Oscars. The Grammys. Right. So, uh, that I was so well known, they asked me to go on the red carpet from my house, and they were interviewing, you know how they interview people on the red carpet? Sure. They did a Google, they did a Google Plus hangout. My wife's downstairs cooking, and I'm upstairs, and she's watching, uh, uh, Mumford and Sons or whatever, and, and I'm interviewing them from the red carpet. Oh, I mean, very cool. it was awesome. Very and cool. And so things like that, uh, you know, people say, how did you do that? Sometimes it just happens, but it's not always luck. People say, oh, you got lucky to do that. No, I got put myself in a position right. to be out there for people to know that I do the stuff. And they called me, do you want to do it? I said, absolutely. So there were 10 of us on the red carpet for the Grammys. So stuff like that, you've got to put yourself in position. You've got to try new things. You got to explore. I mean, I'm fortunate that you called, and I appreciate you having me on your show, Jake. Well, this uh, is—I so mean, I'm basically the equivalent of the that's, Grammys. That's great. <laughs> yeah, that you are. Right. You are. This is just right up there with it, man. Thank so you, Chris. I appreciate. I'm going to put this on my. I'm going to put this on my uh, on my resume. Yeah, and this but is going on my it, book it, flap. <laughs> there you go, man. Right. But it's cool, you know. You just we we got to meet each other through social media. Right. I'm getting to know you, so it's just. You just got to get out there. And, you know, it drives me absolutely. I just don't understand. I speak at SMU. I speak at these colleges. How do I get my thing on? I said, go on SB Chat Sunday nights on Twitter. Interact. You get to meet some of the thought leaders in the space, and then they don't do it. And I just, I, I see this SB Chat, and I don't see any, any kids on there. I just, I, I just don't get it. If I had the opportunity in the old days to be able to interview and talk to people, Man, I would have been all over. You've got to try things, especially when you're just starting out. I mean, you you could never have picked up the phone and talked with a JW Cannon. Uh, he just wouldn't have taken your call. But you have an opportunity every Sunday night to talk to him. Why wouldn't you? Right. Uh, I look at opportunities like that to be able to, and you can't sell them. You can't sell these people. You've got to build a long-term relationship in this kind of business, try and educate, try and help people and try and just get in there and converse. And don't even think about it as like, what am I going to get out of it? Think about it. What are you going to put into the conversation? Right. What's next for you and Huddle? And then bigger picture, what's next? What are you seeing now in social media, especially as it relates to video? You know, you got Instagram stories popping up and, and Snapchat is huge. But, you know, does that video that essentially expires is that a space that you're not interested in getting into? Just curious what your perspective is on the, the world in general. But then for you, you know, for your business, you know, what does the next five years look like? Great. So uh, anybody that can say they know what's coming next is a liar. It's I mean, impossible. yeah, at this point. Yeah. I mean, 
I mean, it really changes so so much so quickly. But if I had to guess, what I think is, and I kind of thought that was Google Hangout. I think the live video interaction, where it's no longer a, I'm I'm a television broadcaster, and tonight the nightly news I bring to you. You sit there, you listen to me. I'm the voice. That's no longer really where I think it's going. I think it's more of a interaction where you're live and you're interacting with viewers and and consumers. I think the live element is pretty cool. Giving people a behind-the-scenes look of something you're doing, whether it's a a music event or a sporting event, you know, that virtual reality I consider live as well. Uh, Just giving people uh, something that they can be a part of. They're not, you know, these kids are no longer watching sporting events, watching events just to watch. They want to somehow either A, interact, whether it's a, a Twitter feed where they can hashtag and they can be interacting real time. Uh, they want to be part of the conversation. So if you can figure out more ways to be in, more interactive rather than a one-way broadcasting channel, to me that's crucial. So I think that's where the advantage is. And for us, we're trying to take advantage of that as well. That's why we love this space. That's why I think that experiential marketing, live event marketing, the being out there and being real-time, it's that real-time. It's the live and it's the interactive those three, to me, will continue to grow because that's what people want. I mean, just real quick, how do you keep up? I mean, like you said, it changes, it seems like, daily. You know, in the meantime, you're trying to run a small business. So do you have a couple people that you lean on? Are there a couple of, let's say, media news outlets that you feel like just really hit the high notes really well and just keeps you abreast of everything? Man, I'll, I'm always online daily. I mean, I live online. So... I'm always just looking, and if you see something, that's the greatest thing. People are like, oh, my gosh, there's so much noise out there. I'm like, oh, I think it's exactly the opposite. Opportunity. Like, what? Yeah. I, see, I see that instead of me having to go find these research, and the, I ha- you know, I have the biggest research staff in the world. I do. Twitter. Yeah. I don't need to, I don't need, need to hire. I look on there. I know where to look, and all of a sudden, this article has been retweeted 20 times. Hmm. All right. Maybe that's one I should ch- check out. So all of a sudden, you can kind of, through all this noise, if you know how to dig in and figure out, you're having all these other people do all the research for you. You don't have to read 20 articles. You know which articles are the most important because other people are talking about it. So if you could realize that, and that's why I learned uh, I don't read every article. I read the ones that everybody's talking about, and that's where I get my information. Plus, just interacting with people online, I kind of uh, do it trial by error. I kind of learn as I go. Uh, once again, I try it all. I mean, I tried. I tried that Blab. Blab is dead now. It's, it went under, but it was similar to Google Hangouts. So I was just testing it out. I thought it was okay, uh, but I'm always trying new stuff. I was the first one on one of the first when Meerkat and Periscope were oh, one wow. week old. Yeah, I did a. Uh, I did a live. Uh, I don't know how much you know about Mashable, but sure. uh, I, I do interviews with Pete Cashmore every year at South by Southwest. Periscope, I think, was a week old, and uh, we did a, a live. I did a one-on-one interview with him live at, in Austin. So I'm always trying that kind of stuff, always trying to be the first ones on these things. Some of them fall by the wayside, but you kind of learn when you, when you don't just read articles, which are important. You've got to actually try some of this stuff. And when you try... You're like, ooh, that worked. You know what, I should do more of that. Or you know what, that was a failure. I'm not going to do that anymore. So 
once again, you've got to be able to fail, but you've also got to try new things, and that's how I learned this stuff. Where are you the most, would you say, online uh, between all the channels? Uh, for Twitter, I love Twitter on live events. There's nobody can compete with that. You know, you're not going to just be Facebooking every single moment of an event. It's just people get drowned out by it. So um, I love Twitter for live events. Um, that's probably where I spend most of my time. And then Facebook, I, I you know, I'll post a, uh, something maybe once a day because that's a different audience. I think of Twitter more like the New York Stock Exchange. Hmm. Uh, that thing is moving at a constant pace, but most people are going to pop in, pop out, uh, and watch it during certain times. Uh, where Facebook is your, you know, you've got to, you know, you've got to be smart on it. You can't drown people out in that space. So it really is, each channel is its really its own audience. Um, and you know, you've got to be able to do it. I see a lot of people that use tools where they post once or twice or three times and it goes to all of them. I think that's a huge mistake. I think that's a big mistake. The automated where it goes everywhere because really, uh, your audience in Facebook does not understand the Twitter language and vice versa. So you've got to be smart. You've got to customize it per, per platform. Right. Not that you want to give any love to another production house, but are there other uh, production companies out there that you just look at and say, wow, I love what they're doing. They're doing a great job. Um, or on the flip side of that, companies who you look at their presence as it relates to video on social media and other channels, they say this company's just really got their act together. Uh, let me think about that one for a minute. I don't know necessarily production. I'd, I'd go the route of companies. So yep. I think uh, companies like Red Bull uh, uh, get it. They're awesome. Um, I'll tell you who intrigued me the other day. Uh, I read a thing on uh, uh, Marriott Hotels, Marriott International. They have created, I mean, this is brilliant. Uh, uh, they created their own uh, media company in-house, and they're making now movies, like mini little movies, uh, they, Marriott is making movies and they're shooting the movies inside the hotels of Marriott and it's a subtle deal but they're creating content around that and then they're creating stuff about the best way to travel content marketing that way so companies that think like journalists and think like media companies I think are the ones that are going to win they're creating interesting compelling stories but it's not shoving it down your face I mean who wouldn't want to learn you're a hotel right and people want to travel, but they don't know if they should go to, uh, I don't know, uh, L.A. or New York City. But, and if you're creating this interesting content that says, here's some cool things to do in New York and these videos and, and stories around that, and all of a sudden it's branded by Marriott, I mean, I just think that's brilliant. It's a subtle way to get your, your brand out there, but it's also giving great relevant content to the end user, which is your customer. So you should go look at some of the stuff they're doing. Um, and, I, you know, off the top of my head, I could name some other ones, but I've, I've got to think about that for a minute. But I, I, that's the ones that recently I've really been impressed with. Sure. Well, Chris Yates, I appreciate it. This is great stuff. I, you know, again, unique perspective here. One, from a journalist who 
for all intents and purposes, has a very successful career. You could have ridden that out for years. Uh, but, you know, you made the, the risky move. You went into uh, video production, started your own company, and are, are doing uh, are as equally as successful, if not more. And then everything else you're doing on the side, too. You know, again, really enjoy uh, when you lead SB Chad. And, and I've really enjoyed this conversation. So thank you again for spending time. And in closing, let us know what your Twitter, Twitter handle is, where people can find you online. Absolutely. Uh, first place I would tell people, just Google Chris Yates Dallas, and I am all over the Internet, front page, all that stuff. You can find articles, videos, Chris Yates Dallas, and then on Twitter, I'm Chris Yates 11, and the reason 11, I was born on 11-11, my mom 11-11, I was born on my mom's birthday, my brother the 11th, my sister the 11th, I wore a jersey 11 in high school, and um, I always bump into 11, I'll get on flight 11, my hotel room will be 11. So 11 has just followed me around my entire life. So I made it Chris Yates 11. There's, and you know, I've never, I don't think I've ever told that story. So you just got an exclusive. Not that that's very exciting, but uh, there you go. A little behind the scenes on why I chose 11. Yeah, and I'm you were a great, you, you were a great interview, by the way. Uh, great questions. You flowed with the conversation. Awesome job. Interesting podcast. So thank you for having me on. Well, hey, I appreciate it. I was actually trying to look because I've taped a few other shows since the ones I've posted. I think you, this may be the 11th episode, which would be insane. I uh, know you're I, I would not be surprised. No, but that it, would be, it that could, would be interesting. That would be so interesting if this was the 11th one. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it is the 12th. Wow. All right. Oh, I just pulled it up. Man. That would Pretty have been, close, though. Yeah, it's, it's close enough to be, it's close enough to be weird. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Weird. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, Chris, you're awesome, man. Uh, I appreciate you joining us and I look forward to, uh, staying in touch online. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Front Office Exchange, where you hear about the careers of some of the leading executives in sports business. Visit us at frontofficeexchange.com, on Facebook, at Front Office Exchange, and on Twitter, at Front Office EXCH, to access past episodes, show notes, and much, much more. 